Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. I'm really amazing to be here this morning. As Gab said, if you don't know me, I know many of your faces, but uh, if you don't know me, my name's Tyler. I'm part of the team at Life Changes. This is my incredible wife, Kate. I love her with all of my heart. Um, We will, in two months and a couple of days, have been married for two years, which is really exciting. Um, I know it literally feels like yesterday that we got married, so it's really, really exciting. Um, And uh, don't worry, I've started planning the anniversary. Don't worry. but really amazing to be uh, this morning. I, I really love Life Changes Milneton. Every uh, we have a staff meeting every Tuesday, and um, and Shelley and and Gabs are there, and Fee's there. And whenever we say, "Hey, let's," and and we believe in a culture of celebration, and so every Tuesday we go, "Hey, let's celebrate some of the stories that God's doing." And what's so exciting is every Tuesday morning, Gabs, Shelley, Fee will just tell story after story of people in this community. And you don't have to prompt it. You don't have to say, hey, it's just this immediate thing of God's doing this. God's bringing breakthrough here. Salvation here. So I want to say to you, Life Change Milton, well done. Well done for loving people. Well done for inviting. Well done for sharing. Well done for creating a space where community thrives. I think for many people, they arrive here on a Sunday and they go, wow, this is amazing community. Just This must just happen. But actually, no, it doesn't just happen. For many people, a space like this is very unusual. You walk into a community that loves and cares and is passionate about people. So I really want to say well done. And we're so excited for what God is doing here Um I think this venue is beautiful. Um, as I said, on Friday evening, we had the privilege of uh, Michael and Crystal got married. Crystal, part of this uh, amazing community. Yes, we can get excited. Um, it really, really was a beautiful um, ceremony and reception. Got to celebrate with them, um, which is cool. And they, they've gone on holiday. But you know, in moments like that, I always, when I'm at weddings, I always remember my own wedding. And you go, wow, God is so faithful and so kind. And He takes us through seasons and gives us good gifts. And I think, even as Gary shared, I'm going to get into the sermon in a moment. But even as Gary shared about community, um, before I lived with my wife, uh, over the, from when I was 17 and a half to when I was 25, 24, when we got married, 24 then, quickly 25, when we got married, I lived in about 18 different homes in our church community. People who opened up their homes and allowed me to stay there, charged me ludicrously low rents just to open up space for me and allow me to grow. And and I think for many people, they go, wow, that's ridiculous. Why would that be the case? But actually, when you give yourself to community, God will use it to grow you. God will use it to give you space and life. And actually, many of those people that I I had the privilege of staying with, sometimes it was for three weeks, sometimes for a year and a half, actually, they're my friends. They're people that I've done life with and can talk and we're at our wedding and and those sorts of moments. And so I I really want to say, I think community is something that you can only give yourself to. There will be an extent of you being pulled in and people saying hello and inviting you to home groups, but it is the sort of thing that only you can give yourself to it. And when you give yourself to it, God will do incredible things. So really, really excited for this morning. Um, the title of my message this morning is a simple one. It's very, very easy, and I think it's a, it's a good one, and it's going to blow you away. I spent hours thinking about this. The title of this morning, What is the Goal? I know. Brilliant. Um, but really, this morning, I want to ask the question, what is the goal? What is the goal of our lives? 
I think this is a question that so many people grapple with, not only when they're choosing what subjects they're going to do in grade 10 or when they choose what they're going to study after matric or when they choose which job their first job is going to be. I think sometimes we, we process this thing into this category of like there's a period in your life when you decide what you're going to do and then you kind of carry it out over years. I think that is the, um, the thing that we are fed often is make your decisions then because they decide the rest of your life which is quite petrifying for an 18-year-old who has no clue what's going on. But actually, there's this reality that no matter what age, no matter what gender, no matter what race, no matter what situation, financial, whatever it may be, if you had to ask a person, what is the goal of your life? It is something that people constantly grapple with, constantly are grappling. I think every person I have a conversation with is doing this thing with us. I'll say, hey, so what's, what's happening in your world? And they'll mention this and mention that. And then they'll say things like, yeah, and we're just busy processing this and I'm thinking about doing this and I'm wondering if this could be a great opportunity and processing all sorts of these different things overseas, stay in South Africa, um, study this, become this, um, start this business. And for most of our lives, have children, whatever it might be, for most of our lives, we're almost living in the space of going, well, what is the purpose of my life? What is the goal of my life? I don't know about you, but I do it all the time. Like, maybe I should become this. Or, and, and I think for anybody, whether no matter what phase of life you are in, this is a huge question. I think either we spend an endless amount of time worrying about it, or sometimes we default to not even thinking about it because we can't find an answer. And so this morning I thought I, we'd have a little, and I actually believe as believers, it is, it's, it's lovely. You can answer that if you need to. Um, I think as believers, it is, a, it is a, actually a far more important question than what we realize. As believers in Christ, we have to be able to answer the question, what is the purpose, what is the goal of my life? I went onto a, a, a famous website, which is called Life Hacks. Everyone gone onto Life Hacks, they'll teach you how to peel oranges in seconds. They'll teach you how to um, um, peel eggs in also seconds. It's a phenomenal thing. Google how to peel eggs quickly. Very important things. But they have got a, they, they title it like this, the ultimate list of 29 goals, 29, not 30, not 28, 29 goals for living a fulfilling life. So you go onto the website, you're like, okay, I can do this. And the list starts like this, which I find very intriguing that this is the first one. Start a gratitude journal. That's very good, very good. So everyone, start a gratitude journal. 13 points and then I'm done. I just wrote 13 of them down. Start a gratitude journal. Create a healthy life plan. Be healthy. Find a way to give back. Start a creative hobby. Become more mindful. It's a challenge for me. Be kind daily. Seek personal growth. Be financially secure. Take a risk. Spend one evening not talking about yourself. That was a big one for me. Getting there. I know nobody else in the room. Very selfless. Challenge for me. Um, read personal development books, ask for more responsibility at work. Those are just 13 of the 29 goals that will lead to a fulfilling life according to lifehack.com. I don't know about you, but when I read that list, I get tired. <laughs> I'm like, wow, this is going to be very, very 
difficult. And I think so many of us spend our lives reading these articles and reading these books and and some of the most intriguing titles coming out of self-help books that you can think of at the moment. But actually, we spend our lives digging and grappling with this thing of what is the purpose of my life? And actually, we get these lists and we implement them and they work for two years or or, two years often is a stretch and, and New Year's on its way. And you know, New Year's resolutions, we put the kilos that we've been dreaming of losing. We put all of these things down and we go, if I can just get that right, then my life will be fulfilled. And so what we do is we put an end goal to actually something that should be a starting point. We go, if I can achieve that, my life will be fulfilled. This morning, I would, I'd like to turn that on its head and say, actually, if you start in the right place, your life will be fulfilled. And so this morning, I'd love to grapple a little bit around this. You see, I believe that there are all of these goals that we line up and say we want to achieve. I want financial freedom. I want to be wealthy. I want a great business. I want a great job. I want a beautiful family. I want healthy kids. All of these goals that we put down. I want to reach 52 kilos by 2037. Like we put all of these goals down and we go, I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. But I believe that for many of us, there is often one driver that drives achieving those goals. You say there's this one thing that sits inside of us. Sometimes it's insecurity. For years as a young man in school, I would live with this reality of being slightly more overweight than the rest of my class. And so I developed this overconfident big mouth because I was like, if I can just be bigger than them, they won't, they won't make me feel insecure. They won't do these things. And so for years at a school level, I know it's a, a trite example, but for years at a school level, insecurity was my driver. It manifested as a whole bunch of other things. And I believe that for every one of us, we live with these drives. Maybe you came from a family that struggled financially. That's a real thing. And so now your core driver is financial security. Every decision, every process is around, I want to create the secure life for myself. You see, I believe at the core of all of us, there is something driving us forward. Whether it's an insecurity, a past reality, maybe it's a healthy thing. But I believe that our Savior named Jesus had one driver. It's this beautiful story in, in, um, in John 5. It tells the story of a man who was uh, um, an invalid for 38 years. He could not walk for 38 years. And he was at a, a specific pool, and this pool was known to have these, these powerful healing properties because of a whole bunch of things. I won't get stuck into that. But he saw Jesus, and he said to Jesus, Jesus, would you mind just putting me in the pool? If I can just get into the pool, then I'll, I'll receive my healing. My life will get better. You know, just get me there. And Jesus looks at the man and he said to him, take your mat and go. And all of a sudden the man got up. He was healed, walking away. He actually didn't even bother to ask Jesus who he was. He was so excited about his healing. And he ran into the town and he was telling everyone, I'm healed, I'm healed. Can you imagine for 38 years not being able to walk and in one moment you receive this powerful healing And then this amazing thing happens. He runs into the town. He tells everyone. Then he sees Jesus and he goes, well, actually, it was that man that healed me. And the Pharisees, the religious of the day, they got angry. Why? Because he had healed a man on the Sabbath. So the Pharisees don't see the power of God. They see legalism. And they come to Jesus and they go, how dare you do this? You can't heal on the Sabbath. They don't see the person. They see the principle. You can't heal on the Sabbath. And I love Jesus' response in John 5, 19. It says, Jesus gave them this answer. Very I, truly I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing. 
Because whatever the Father does, the Son does also. It's this radical response to a religious mindset of achieving and achieving and achieving, getting closer to God by what we do. And Jesus responds, he says, this is my driver. This is the one thing that pushes me forward. I do what I see my father doing. You see, what he's doing there is he's shifting the goal line. See, the Pharisees, the goal line was keep the law, do what you had to do, make sure everything looked good. And Jesus shifts the goal line. You see, if we're not asking ourselves the question, what is the goal line? We won't shift the way we do things. We won't shift the way we process our lives. And Jesus is saying, this is my driver. I want to do what I see my father doing. I believe in order to live lives that have eternal impact, we've been speaking for weeks on this reality of eternity. If you want to live a life that has eternal impact, you have to find the goal that God designed. You have to find the goal that God designed. Can we read scripture together? John 15, it's an um, amazing piece of scripture. It's this beautiful, beautiful um, Jesus speaking, a red letter text. And uh, we're just going to read verse 1 to verse 11. It'll be on the screen behind me. It goes like this. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burnt. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Father, we pray this morning that as we read the scripture of abiding in you, God, would you teach us, Father? Thank you as we read your scriptures, King Jesus, would you mold us, would you shape us, and would you form us to become more like you, King Jesus? Father, I pray simply for one thing this morning, that you would shift the way we think, God. That we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds through your scriptures, God. Thank you that this morning we would shift the goal line toward you, King Jesus. Amen. This is a, I don't know about you, so often I read the Bible and I read the scriptures and I read about Jesus and I see about his love and his self-control and his power and the life that followed him. And I read it and I go, wow, I wish I could do that. You know, we read these amazing scriptures, we hear sermons on Sunday about the phenomenal things that Christ did, and we go, wow, it would be cool if we could do that. But you know what the mandate of the gospel is? The mandate of the gospel is, do that. But you see, we first have to understand how. And I believe in this text, Jesus is teaching his disciples, and inadvertently through the text, teaching us how to be 
like Christ. And the first point I want to make this morning, very simply, in order to shift our goal line toward a godly goal line, a godly purpose, is become like Christ. What is the purpose of your life? Become like Christ. You see, I think we've got so many things on our, we create these beautiful mood boards. I've never been able to create a mood board in my life. I don't understand how you cut out all the pictures from the magazine. It's very confusing. But actually, we put these things up and we go, that's me and, and blonde hair and all of these things. And no, actually, I think I could do blonde hair. But, but actually, no, our goal as believers, if we read this text and understand it, is to become like Christ. You see, this portion of Scripture for a few chapters before Jesus starts his journey to the cross is known as the farewell discourse. And John writes his book, and, and John's book is a lot more focused on Jesus' personal interactions. The other books of the Gospels, the other writers are far more focused on Jesus' public ministry. John was very focused on the intimate moments with Jesus. And so what he's writing here is he's writing what Jesus was telling his disciples. You see, we have to take these things very, very seriously. Why? Because they're Jesus talking to us. And I think so often we go, wow, I'd love God to speak to me. Open these words. And Jesus is giving this kind of farewell discourse to his disciples. And he's going, guys, this is how you do it. This is the goal of your life. The goal of your life is to become like me. You see, if we do not answer this question, we're in trouble as believers. And you'll see over 11 times he uses the word abide. And abide is a, a better or, or an easier to understand word for it is to remain. It means to be with. The, the, um, the ESV study Bible gives this definition. It says abide in me means to continue on in a daily personal relationship with Jesus characterized by trust, prayer, obedience, and joy. I'll say that again. To continue in a daily personal relationship with Jesus characterized by trust, prayer, obedience, and joy. You see, at the end in verse 11, he says that my joy may be full in you. You see, he's saying, remain in me. Be consistently in relationship with me. He's not describing a daily devotional reality. Yes, that fits in and is part of it. But what Jesus is describing when he says abide, he says it is all the time. It never stops. I don't know about you, but I'm a, a big fan of wine farms. I love going to wine farms. I'm sure there are many in the house. I know, be honest. There are many in the house that love going for a little wine tasting and enjoying the views and, and all of these things. But I don't know if you, about you, but I've walked through vineyards before. And I have never, ever seen a vineyard like really struggling through the day. Like really battling. Have you ever walked up to a vineyard and gone, how are you? And they go, whoo, we busy. Whoo, been a rough week. You know, you, you don't often see the strain on the vineyard. You know, it's just there. It's just this, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Bear fruit. And actually, the winds come and the realities come and all of these things come. But, but I've never, ever seen a vineyard say to me as I walk past, whoo, we tired, eh? I think you're going to chat to the winemaker. Just give us a break. Working hard this, this season. This is going to be a great pinotage, but hell's been difficult. You know, I think so often we process our lives in this light, and so many people that I talk to, John Markoma recently started doing a podcast which speaks about busyness and hurriedness. And actually, this, 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 they've diagnosed a disease called hurry. 
And actually, you can be diagnosed with hurry syndrome. And they found these 10 questions that help diagnose if people have hurry syndrome. One is, do you always overtake cars in front of you that are going five kilometers an hour slower? Guilty as charged. When you're at checkers, do you go to the one queue and then see the other queue shorter and bolt for the next one? Just to knock the older lady out the way, just so you can get to the queue. You see, we live in this reality of this persistent, undergirded hurry and anxiety. Why? Because we don't know what the true goal of our lives are. We don't know where we are supposed to find our life. You see, I think a lot of the time we do the Christian life separate from Christ. We do a lot of our Christian life separate from Christ. And what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, you cannot be separated from me. He uses very strong language when he talks about the vines that were removed or the branches that were removed from the vine. He uses very strong language. Why? Because outside of Christ, we will wither. But inside of Christ, we will bear much fruit. And so you're going, well, what is the goal of my life? Well, very simply, sir, ma'am, abide in Christ. He is the lamp to our feet. He will give you the future that you're designed for. He will create the paths. He will open up the doors. But abide in Him. See, I think so many of us are living in this reality of, of when things are going well, we almost separate Jesus from our lives. You know, when my job is excellent and my boss is treating me so well and everything's going well, I can do this on my own. See, but the Word says you can do nothing on your own. And so what he's saying there is uh, commentators, and they, they put it so beautifully, he's not saying you can do nothing. You know, yes, we can do things. We can drive, we can work, we can do all of those things. What he's saying is you can do nothing of eternal value outside of him. You see, you can do nothing of eternal value outside of abiding and remaining in Jesus. When my job is going, well, I can do this on my own. As soon as it goes badly, oh, Jesus, I need you. And he's going, why didn't you just have me there the whole time? Because then you'd flow into that space that might be challenging, but I promise you, you'll have the life you need. You'll have the energy you need. You'll have the faith you need. Why? Because I'm choosing to spend every moment with Christ. You see, he's not surprised by anything. He's not alarmed when things happen in your life. But abiding is a choice. A personal relationship is a choice. Spending time with my wife so that we can have a personal, intimate relationship is a choice. It doesn't just happen. And so we have to choose daily to give ourselves to this thing. Galatians 2.20, it's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. You see, it's this reality of Paul had a revelation. And Paul, very similar to us, he was not one of Jesus' disciples when Jesus was alive. He came to a knowledge of the truth and then chose to live a Christian life, the same as what we do. And he had this understanding and this revelation that actually it's Jesus in me that will change the world, that will push me into a future, that will give me life. And you might be saying, well, how do we adjust the goal line? How do I do this? Well, firstly, sir, ma'am, I would say you need to understand that your time belongs to Jesus. Your time belongs to Jesus. Not the hour in the morning or the 45 minutes or when you overslept a bit, the five minutes. No, all of it. You see, when we change the way we process our lives through this lens of, well, what is the goal? I want to be like Christ. So my time belongs to Christ. That means you're driving to work in the morning, belongs to Christ. That means you're working, belongs to Christ. You see, your time, your talents, the skills that God has given you belong to Christ. They are His for Him to use as He pleases. 
And as he pushes you in directions, as you abide in him, you'll become more like him. You'll live a fulfilled life. You'll live a life that all of a sudden you're going, this is not easy, but I have joy. Imagine going to work on a Monday morning during the toughest season, during year end now, when you're trying to sell and hit targets so that you can buy your children Christmas gifts. And, you know, these things get real. You know, we can theorize it, but actually you've got to pay rent at the end of the month. You've got to do those things. Imagine in the middle of that hustle, arriving at your office in the morning and go, wow, she's got so much joy. Wow, this is, okay, I can do this. It's not easy. But understanding my time, my talents, and thirdly, your treasures belong to Jesus. Your money, we've been speaking about it for weeks, your finances belong to Christ. And I believe when we start to shift this, generosity becomes easy. You see, Jesus was the most generous man in the world. So if I become more like him, I will become more generous. Generosity is not about every month toiling through, deciding on an amount of money, I have to give this away, otherwise God's going to be disappointed with me. No. It is a practice that comes from abiding in Christ. Generosity comes from personal relationship with Christ. Kindness comes from becoming more like Jesus. Kindness is not easy for all of us sometimes. I battle in this area often, but Jesus calls us to it. Actually, it says that it's his kindness that brings us to salvation. So I want to become more like Christ so that I can be kind so that I can be compassionate, so that I can be hardworking. How often you go, I don't know how to do this. Well, become more like Christ. It's a powerful thing. I want peace. I want joy. I want all of these things. All of these things, the goal of our lives, flow from Christ. See, early on I said it's not the end goal, it's the starting point. Are you starting your life from relationship with Christ? You'll start to see joy, you'll start to see life, you'll see compassion, you'll see generosity flowing, and you'll be standing there going, I don't know where this is coming from. It is a restful position. Number one, become like Christ. And then number two, leave a legacy. When I say leave a legacy, and obviously leaving a legacy flows out of relationship with Christ, but I believe that Jesus was the most influential person to ever have lived. Most influential, world-changing person to ever have lived. He did not die wealthy, but he died with a legacy. A legacy that changed the world. You see, I think so often we process legacy as financial. But in the kingdom of God, a legacy looks different. A legacy looks like something that impacts the world ongoingly, ongoingly. I love in verse 7, it says, If you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Jesus does not lie. If you abide in him, your request will change. All of a sudden, you'll be asking things that you never thought of asking before, but actually you'll realize, well, these are kingdom things. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. You see, we don't need a soapbox preach. We need to abide in Christ. He's saying it there. He's saying, abide in me. And you will prove to the world that you're disciples of Jesus. Because your lives will look different. The purposes and goals and intentions of your life will look different. Not because you wrote a list of 29 goals to achieve. Because you remained in Jesus. So you had a personal relationship with Christ. You see, when we abide in Christ, we will bear the fruit that Christ determined for us. That is the beauty of the sovereignty of God. Is He's purposed our lives before we were born. He's purposed your life before you were born. 
And if you are willing to give yourself to an intimate personal relationship with him, he will outwork that. Elon Musk tweeted something recently, a fascinating man, very successful, dreams of colonizing Mars and all sorts of strange things, and could be amazing. But he made this tweet. He said, no one has ever changed the world in a 40-hour work week. Quite a statement, eh? No one has ever changed the world in a 40-hour work week. And then he went on to say, if you're doing 80 hours, you might get it right. If you're doing 100 hours, you'll probably get it right. You know, it's this fascinating statement by a man who is incredibly successful in business, incredibly successful financially. And the world is reading that tweet and going, yes, I must give more time to work. I must give more of my energy to work. But if you go and read about Elon Musk, you will see a trail of broken marriages, of broken relationships, fatherless stories. Why? Because he's given himself to something that is not leaving an eternal legacy. You see, I would ask the question, what is more powerful, a wealthy father or a present father? A wealthy father or a present father? Why? Because the reality is, you might give your kids all the money they need in the world, and provision is an important thing, but I tell you now, if you are present, you will leave a legacy that affects generations. Why? Because your son will be a great father, and his son will be a great father, and his son will be a great father. Why? Because you chose to invest with a kingdom mentality. You chose to leave a legacy that was designed by the Father in heaven. And so that is at five o'clock in the afternoon, choosing to switch your laptop off and go and spend time with your children. Even though there's pressure, even though there are tough things. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to prescribe your working hours to you. What I'm trying to say is, what is the posture of our hearts? Are we abiding in Christ? Are we living in that space? You see, we cho choose constantly between an earthly or an eternal inheritance. Constantly, every day. A little while ago, I started a journey where, um, for health reasons, I needed to lose some weight, and for look reasons, but that's besides the point. Um, and I thought, hey, and a couple of weeks ago, I just said to Kate, hey, we need to do something, so I contacted a friend of ours who's a dietitian, and she said to me, well, for you, I think you need to start the keto diet. And actually, if you know anything about the keto diet, how do you know someone's on it? Because I'll tell you. Um, and actually, so I started this journey three weeks ago, and in three and a bit weeks now, I've lost six kilos in three weeks, which is amazing. Thank you, Lord. Let's testify. Um, but the reality is, the reality is what I've learned about this thing is on the Monday that I started, I didn't go, I am now on the keto diet. And then all of a sudden I was doing it. You know, it wasn't that reality. I think so many of us go Sunday, we're like, yes, I'm choosing you, Jesus. And then you kind of think it's automatically going to happen. I have to make small decisions every single day. Small decisions every single day that three weeks later, I know it's very early days, have led to fruit. And I think sometimes we just think, well, I need to make the one big decision. No, so ma'am, you need to abide every day. It is a daily small decision toward Christ. And all of a sudden, the big decisions will become very easy. Abide in Christ. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If just that scripture sits with us, I can do nothing without you, Jesus. Imagine arriving at work and going, okay, before I open this Excel document that I have to work on, I can do nothing outside of you, God. Be with me today. I promise you it will start to transform the way we live our lives. 
when pressure comes. I love um, a pastor in America. He said, um, convictions are making decisions ahead of time. Gabe says it all the time. Why? Because you can't make the decision in the pressure. Because then you make the wrong decision. When you're abiding in Christ, those decisions are made beforehand. And so I'd love to, and just in landing, I'd love to make this thing practical. You see, because sometimes we hear these sermons and go, yes, I want to abide in Christ. But how do I do it? And I think that scripture puts it so beautifully, and I've shared a little bit of actually small daily decisions. But the first guideline or thought I'd love to give us is, number one, consider God. In your everyday, consider God. In your driving, in your buying of dinner, in all of, and I use these small little things because they amount to the big things. You know, life, you know, I love it. We went overseas for three weeks this year. We had this beautiful mountaintop experience for three weeks. But then there are 49 weeks of the year where you do incredibly normal things. And so many of us live for those mountaintop moments, but actually God's going, include me in all of it. And so number one, in your decision-making, consider God, consider His ways. If you read the Gospels, you see Jesus presenting His ways. The way that He exists. You read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. He's presenting His ways to His believers. You see, paying your tax becomes really easy when you consider God's ways. You don't have to ask Him. You say, Jesus, do I need to pay my tax this month? No. You don't have to ask Him. Because in His Word, it says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. So it stops becoming this, ooh, you know, I, I didn't enjoy SARS this month, so I don't think so. And it becomes, okay, God, I'm going to honor you. Your ways are to do this, and you will see the fruit of God. What are your ways, Jesus? Ways of compassion, ways of kindness. You read his scriptures, you learn his ways. Consider God. Number two, consult God. When is the last time when making a financial decision you asked God first? I preached this last week, and this week we were processing giving somebody a gift. And I thought, yeah, I'll just give them that. And then I caught myself, because I preached this last week, Sunday night, going, maybe I should ask God. Maybe you'll make it a bit less, so we can go for dinner. You know, like, okay, okay. Lord, he doubled it. <laughs> You're like, fine. You know, and, I don't, and, and that is not a principle. What I'm saying is, consult your Father in heaven. Jesus makes that statement, I do only what I see my Father doing. What does that mean? He consulted God on everything. It's this radical, world-changing reality that if you will give yourself to constant communication with the Father, you will start to see His fingerprints on your life. You will start to see His fingerprints on your job. You will, I love testimonies of stories of people who have made God decisions. Corin, I mean, Gabe shared it from the front, around financial decisions, and all of a sudden, voila, the life of God starts to come. Why? Because they made Godly decisions. That does not come one day sitting in your office going, from now on, I'm going to do godly finances. Yes, that is a moment. But then every day after that, you have to ask God. Even at this thought, when last were you generous with your wife? When last did you ask God, how can I be generous with my wife, men in the room? Ladies in the room, when last did you ask God, how can I be generous with my husband? Not just put in enough money so they can go get themselves a coffee, however you do your finances. No, generous. Because you will build those cultures into your story of asking God, God, how do I do this this month? I'm trying so hard in our world of the back of this eternity series to, in our, when I do our budget at the end of the month, to go, God, how must I do this? 
See, finances are one area. Relationally, all of these things. Consult God. You will see the fruit pour out in your life. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. doesn't say in some of your ways. doesn't say in your Sunday ways. It says in all your ways. That's not easy, guys. But the fruit on the other side of abiding in Christ is radical. Consider God, consult God, and then lastly, seek wisdom. Now, wisdom never trumps the Word of God. God speaks to you, do what God said. But I believe that there are many moments where we can seek wisdom from people and we will dodge some things that were never supposed to happen in our worlds. Speak to people and they're making these massive financial decisions. And I'll just, and I'm, I'm not necessarily very experienced around finances, but I'll often just ask them, hey, have you, have you chatted to someone about this? Well, no, it's a great opportunity. You know, if someone comes to you with a million rand opportunity and says, you've got to give me an answer by tomorrow, or you're going to miss the deal. I'll say to you, sir, ma'am, miss the deal. Because when we make decisions in haste, outside of wisdom, outside of consulting God, we wither rather than bear fruit. We wither rather than bear fruit. The plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty, but those of everyone who is hasty, surely to poverty. See, the Word of God gets practical sometimes. Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. Now, I'm not saying come up to the front on a Sunday and say, hey, guys, I'm thinking about doing this. Everyone come give me your thoughts because that might be a bit rough for you. But actually, when you're in community, you have people around you who can help you make financial decisions. They can help you make relational decisions. They can help you make decisions with your children. Actually, God's designed community to do that. And all of these things, I simply want to land. Abide in Christ. Abide in Him. He will make straight your paths. Can I pray for us? Can I ask you to stand? I'd love to pray. Father, I pray this morning, very simply, Lord, that you would teach us to abide in you. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that this morning you would change the posture of our hearts, God. That you would change the goal of our lives, Father. Rather than toiling and trying to achieve, Father, we would simply start to understand that the goal of the Christian life, the goal of believers in Christ, is very simply to abide in you, Jesus. To give ourselves wholly and completely to a consistent personal relationship with you, Christ. Father, we don't necessarily do this naturally all the time, God. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, would you grip our hearts now, Father? Would you teach us what it means to walk in the Spirit, Holy Spirit? Would you teach us what it means to be aware of you, Holy Spirit, on a daily basis? Thank you, Father, that in our, de in our decisions, in our moments, in our family moments, would you teach us what it means to hear your voice, God? Would we give ourselves to your words so that we may consider your ways, Jesus? Would we give ourselves to prayer, God, so that we may hear your voice, God? Would we give ourselves to moments in the presence of God so that we could be trained up, Jesus, to abide in you? These few years we spend on this earth, God, I pray as believers in Christ, they would be marked by relationship with you, Savior Jesus. Thank you that by this, they will know we are your disciples, Jesus. By this, King Jesus. Thank you, Father, that when we share with people why we make the decisions we make, they will see that we are your disciples. 
Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your kindness in our lives. Thank you, Jesus, for your goodness in our lives. Draw us near, God. We want to do only what we see our Father in heaven doing. Thank you, King Jesus. Amen.